everybody and welcome back to your favorite podcast about new metal this is the pod cast i'm john and with me is a man who both has got the life and is a freak on a leash brian quinby i'm gonna let that one slide i think basically i don't have the life but i am a freak on a leash so that's right that's right well yeah you walk you walk all the time. So, I mean, you're not on a leash, but I mean, essentially, oh, if you, you could be. I don't match either one of them then, I guess, because, but well, I do got the life because you know what? I get a lot for very little work and that That's really a, is the life. I that think. is the life. I think you got the life. Don't sell yourself short. Mm, my bank account was negative yesterday when I woke up. <laughs> so that was a negative part of the life. But it's all good now. I but have does money. that mean that you good. don't got the life if you don't have money? I mean, I, th- I yeah. don't know that. Okay. All right. You, That's listen. the life, actually. Okay. Fair money. enough. I respect <laughs> that. <laughs> How you doing, John? Life. How's it going? Imagine you just this doing this review of corn turned you capitalist all of a sudden. You're like, listen, yeah. life is money and money is life, baby. I've been looking yeah. into these. I've been looking into these stocks. You hear about this? You guys hear about crypto? You guys hear about this shit? That'd be so funny your, if you just turned your into man that guy. needs. A, I need a boat. Yeah, I, you need I a boat. I really dude. need a boat. I've been wanting a boat. Oh. I mean, Stefan and I talk about this all the time on Block Party. Like, we talk about becoming like right wing grifters or whatever. But I think you, because we say like part of how good our grift would be, pardon, is that we'd be able to sell that we used to be like these left wing rats. But now yeah. we're the true. And, and you, I mean, you and Brett could do that even more because you guys like straight up have like a socialist anarchist podcast if you two were all of a sudden to start like a crypto slash like stock financial right-wing capitalist pod i mean the 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 fucking the bootlickers would love you i mean you guys you'd be so rich you'd have a boat i mean you would have a boat you'd be like look for 10 years i gutted it out i toured across this country in a van uh, that's no way to live. You know, like you could really just, you could, I mean, you could just go off and people would fucking love it, man. It's no way to live without a boat. I mean, it's tough. It's true. Living a life without a boat. Really? Imagine you, you're only on land. Like that's not, yeah. that's not what am I like a, you know, a, a giraffe. I mean, come on. I have never, I have never driven a boat and I don't even know how a boat drives. Really? Oh, I know there's a really, lever. It's really easy. Yeah. It's just like, uh, it's basically like a gear shift that goes like up and back and you just put the boat into gear and then it just fucking goes and then you have a steering wheel. That's it. And then I just go fast all the time. Like I would have the fucking speedboat, dude. That's what I want. My dream is in life is to have a speedboat. Well, a cigarette boat would be really cool, but a speedboat, you know what a cigarette boat is? Yeah, that's the like, uh, it's just like a really narrow and small, but very fast boat, correct? I think they have, 
I'm going to say something really stupid right now that's probably <laughs> not true, but I'm just going to say it because I already got myself halfway through That's what this podcast I think, is. I think they have a jet engine in them. But, uh, oh, really? I that mean, might that be seems wrong. Okay, I'm looking it up just, just to make sure that we're... Cigarette boat. Even okay. if... Oh, c- boat- yeah. Cig- okay, cigarette racing. Uh, yeah, baby. I see. It was just because... Yeah, in the early 1960s, Donald Aranow Arano built his first boat with this hull design and christened it the cigarette. He thought the long, sleek look of the boat resembled a cigarette. The term cigarette boat is actually a name that replaced the older term rum runner. Man, this nice. shit's cool. Whoa, I mean, okay. This is cool. I'm looking at some that are for sale. This one, the 2011 Cigarette Marauder. 700 grand. And, I mean, uh, that's what me, they call me, actually. The cigarette the marauder. Cigarette marauder. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I could see that. Okay, it's got a uh, refreshed twin Mercury Racing 1,350 horsepower QC4V with Mercury Racing and rebuilt transmissions and M8 drives. I mean, Ooh. that is, I mean, 1,350 horsepower is fucking insane. I mean, that's insane. I've been on... I would say the because I grew up, I we had a cottage growing up on on a on a lake, and I would say uh, like the fastest boat I was ever on probably was two hundred and twenty five horsepower, and oh, that yeah, not that enough thing, for me, dude. That was fast as hell. I mean, that thing could go like eighty miles an hour on the water. I mean, that's fast as shit. And this has like six times the the horsepower. You'd die. Yeah. I mean, you'd die if you bought it for sure. You'd be dead. I we'd we'd have like T minus five more POD cast episodes. I mean, if you got a 42, cigarette, if you got a cigarette boat, the forty two inch X has twenty seven hundred horsepower. Jesus, and uh, the fifty inch Marauder SS has thirty one hundred horsepower. That's, so I got to get one of these. That's absurd. But yeah, yeah, if you get one, it'd be cool as hell. Uh, anyway, this I is a podcast ass around town, dude, around the water. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah. I want to say this, even though the moment has passed, a cigarette race sounds like something me and Dan would do. <laughs> it does. You're right. It does to me. <laughs> and I would I honestly don't know who would win. I think both of you Dan. are there. I think, yeah, Dan probably. But I think overall, both of you guys, I don't know too many smokers, uh, but of all the smokers I know, I think you two are probably pretty good. At it. <laughs> You're talking to two of them. Yeah. Two, two of them at the, the same time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how many smokers I actually like. No, it's not that many. It's probably like 10 ish. Like as far as like people who smoke on a reg on a reg basis. God, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I quit for like a decade and a half and then picked it back up like a fucking what? fool. Why? Yeah. How, how did yeah. that happen? How did you pick it back up after that long off? I mean, I was on tour and like I was going like I didn't like sitting in the green room and then even like a lot of the places that we played didn't have a green room. So I'd just be like sitting uh, on the stage waiting for the show to start, you know? Right. And uh, I just was like i'll just stand outside and smoke cigarettes and then it just kept rolling (laughs) and then i just i picked it back up i'm gonna stop again soon but like uh uh i love it it's just so great you know 
kids don't smoke because it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone everyone I know who smokes, well, I would say one person in particular, I know Graham Clark, actually past guest of this show and a Vancouver comedian and and one of the hosts of Stop Podcasting Yourself. Uh he frequent he quit smoking like 15 years ago, I think. But he frequently talks about how like just having a cigarette is like as good as it gets. Like still He's like 15 years out from having a cigarette and he's like, man, I miss it. I miss it still. It smoking is awesome. <laughs> yeah. There's something about like, like I was hanging outside at, at like a club and just smoking cigarettes and chatting with people that are also smoking cigarettes. That's like, I love it. it I yeah. just, I love it, but I don't like how they make you feel really like generally. I like how they make you feel in the moment, but then, you know, you feel like crap sometimes from it. Yeah, that just it's it's time for me to think about quitting, but it's not going to happen for a while because I'm depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, you can start thinking about it. I mean, that's fair. I mean, uh, I'll tell you something that did make me want to smoke. And I feel like our listeners probably would like to hear us talk about this a little bit before we get into the corn album. We haven't even teed that up. This episode 24 and uh, I mean, you can already tell because you can see the title of the podcast. But we are covering Corn's Follow the Leader this month. Uh, but something that made me want to have a cigarette uh, out of anger was the Woodstock '99 documentary. Uh, Brian, I know that you've you know you've already you've guessed it on Chapo Trap House talking about it, and I know you just uh, did another recording about it tonight. So maybe you're sick of talking about it, but I nope. haven't got I haven't got my thoughts down anywhere yet. So I figured you and I could chat about it a little bit. Um, let's, let's go. Cause I know most people understand that, you know, our feelings on it are probably fairly negative. What was something that, I mean, you were there, what was something that you felt like they portrayed accurately as far as, you know, being there, being in the moment, like, cause I think like, as I was watching it, I was getting like progressively more and more mad because I was like, you know, it just seemed like they were just getting so many things wrong in a row. And then obviously like listening to the co-founders of the festival or whatever was like infuriating but what was like something what was something they got right about it that you thought like okay yeah that was like that they captured that part of it for sure uh the trash and and stuff i wish they could have let people smell it but uh it was just (laughs) all the trash and shit water and people covered in shit that were walking around and the gross porta potties and people just fucking randomly pissing all over the place. Uh, that kind of thing they captured really well. And then something else in this documentary, uh, that I'm so glad made tape. And I would love to see more of this is, uh, because I saw this happen over and over again, the whole time I was there is when the MTV news people would go out and interview people around, uh, uh, the festival, the people would be like needlessly combative and nasty and almost scary to them. And at the time I just thought it was so fucking funny watching it happen over and over again to the point where like I would follow John Norris around so I could see people make him feel uncomfortable and bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did show a lot of that. I mean, didn't they say that they ended up, 
pulling all of the MTV people at, by the last day that they were like, oh, you, you guys got to leave. This isn't safe anymore. And I mean, Carson Daly, right from the hop, people were just like, fuck that guy. Yeah, I mean, here's here's what I think. Uh, the MTV news booth was like probably 12 feet up off the ground, maybe even higher it was high off the ground uh i have a pic I'll, I'll try to get you the picture of me and of my friends leaned up against it and when you see it you'll see they're like kind of absurdly high off the ground so i don't like know why they had to leave i don't think people were going to uh climb this wall but uh it's possible they were climbing other stuff but yeah. uh i just don't know if their safety was ever in unless they're a woman and they're crowd surfing or, or, you know, all the other horrible things that happen to women. But I just, I don't know if like Dave Holmes and uh, John Norris were necessarily in some kind of mortal danger. Right. So, right. Right. No, that, that makes in sense. A war for sure. zone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I mean, were you, this is something that like, I don't know, because obviously our very first bonus episode, we, uh, we talked about, we reviewed the Woodstock 99 compilation. We talked about your experience a bit with Chris James. Like I was curious about this, like in the moment, were you feeling like the treatment of women was like, crazy or abnormal or because I, I feel like, and this may sound weird to say, but I, I just feel like watching the documentary. I mean, I was 14 in 1999. So I, you know, I was an idiot, you know, I'm a kid. I barely know anything, but like, I don't think I would have been able to like wrap my head around like how fucked up it was. Like, I, I don't know that I would have had the like maturity or whatever to see like, wow, this is like a really insanely fucked up situation. Like, did it feel like crazy and fucked up when you were there? Or was it, you know, was it hard for you to wrap your head around that part of it? I mean, in 1999 and in, in the late 90s, up until probably 10 years ago, maybe. Uh, not really. It probably has been a longer time. But in 1999, it was like normal for a show your tits chant to come out at right. every concert i went to about every 20 minutes like th that was like a thing that happened so no i mean uh i'm i had a girlfriend anyway but i was also like such a huge like i was so afraid of women when i was growing up that i can't even Put, wrap my mind around like the type of person who would grope a woman or do any of that stuff right and i just didn't see it but like i also didn't think the like show your tits thing was out of the norm so i didn't right. see it i i'd said this on chopo uh you know this is the first time I'm out of town without my parents and i think i'm going to new york city when I go to this thing, like I didn't have any concept that it was like a different place. And uh, uh, I probably maybe talked to two people that I didn't come with the whole time. I was like, I didn't talk to anybody. I thought they were like, you know, fast talking New Yorkers and they were going to take me down. a peg. So I just <laughs> I didn't even have a conversation while I was there with anybody other than my friends. So like. I think about it and I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had a way to know. I went with three guys. I didn't, 
have Katie with me. We didn't have any girls with us. Uh, right, I wasn't right. trying to pick girls up at the time. So I just wouldn't have had any way to know that part. I didn't see, but like I did leave S- Sunday morning. And one of the reasons is because I, there was this semi trailer with this big group of people sitting on it. And they were just like these needlessly aggressive assholes. And I just felt like there was a bunch of assholes there and that there weren't any bands I wanted to see. And it smelled bad and I was tired. So I'm fucking going home. That's why I wasn't there for the riot and stuff. So like, that's the other side of it is like, I just, I thought the festival was attended by a, a large amount of just general assholes and uh, I saw what I wanted to see and got out. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that makes sense for sure. And I mean, that's definitely the the sense you get watching any sort of our archival footage of Woodstock 99. It definitely feels like uh, it feels like that, that it was like, pardon me, a lot of people just looking for trouble. I also think, too, like one thing I thought about one thing that the documentary did that was really fucking weird was like at the end of it. We're trying to make it sound like Coachella was this like idyllic uh, experience when there's been like mass sexual assaults at Coachella, too. And there's been tons of overdoses and deaths and all that stuff. Like, it's not like Coachella is some perfect paradise. But I think in 1999, like the concept of what a music festival was was so narrow, right? Like we had glass, there's Glastonbury, but that's in the UK. And there was probably other like European festivals that were happening at the time. But as far as the whole like American music festival thing, I mean, that didn't even really exist. So it's like, it's clear that no one had any idea what the fuck they were doing, Uh, which is, you know, which is bizarre to think about now where you think like, you know, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll sell half a million tickets and we'll just fire all these people into a parking lot in the middle of a su- shitty suburb of New York. And, uh, you know, we'll see what we'll see what happens. It just seems very they didn't odd. Care. No, right. they didn't they care. Didn't, they didn't care. I mean, the thing that was crazy about this and uh, uh, is when we did the episode, we were kind of just talking about that CD. But this doc like jarred a lot of memories loose just from seeing the grounds in that right, way right of I'm the sure. place just it reminded me of being there but uh uh so now i can tell you something that's pretty funny i uh talked about it on street fight this week but Stephen hyden yeah uh one of the talking heads in the documentary yeah dm'd me <laughs> oh really <laughs> he was not happy with me oh why hey brian a friend told me to check out your tweets about the woodstock 99 doc i just want to push back against one thing i really don't think the movie blames the bands obviously some people say negative things about new metal but there's also people who say it's overly convenient to blame the bands for the promoters given how terrible the conditions were uh he goes on to something else but i gotta read you this little part okay okay yeah uh uh this is the part you'll you'll like just wanted to add one quick note 
If the film were just a hit job on new metal, I don't think Jonathan Davis would end up coming off as well as anyone in the film. As it is, I don't think the film is really about new metal outside of a five to 10 minute stretch around the 45 minute mark. And here we go, John. I think the great new metal deep dive doc has yet to be made. Maybe you're the man to do it. Okay. Now I'll leave you alone. Be well. <laughs> you're the, you're the man. Are we the men? <laughs> Maybe you and no. I should be making the next new metal. <laughs> Maybe somebody should make the good Woodstock 99 documentary before yeah, let's we start get to there. the new metal Yeah, one. let's start there. Yeah, I know. I mean, The movie it's, blames the music. The, the movie. 100% it blames the music. I mean, yeah, it just. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I'll, I'll say I like Stephen Hyden. I have a couple of his books. I think he's a good music critic. I didn't listen to his podcast he's about catty. Woodstock 99. But <laughs> yes, I mean, him DMing you is fucking hilarious. I mean, <laughs> it's so funny. It's just like it. it. Okay, here's what I will say. I don't know necessarily that the documentary filmmaker set out to blame the new metal bands, but he gave the most talking head time to a guy who absolutely is blaming the new metal bands. So whether or not that was your intention, you put that John sure guy or whatever the fuck his name is on the documentary for probably double the amount of time that anyone else is talking on it. And he very clearly doesn't think he himself did anything wrong at all, even though he ran the whole festival and he very clearly places a lot of the bl- I mean he blames the women in it for for getting yep. assaulted like I mean come on man like so this is a guy who yeah he blames the women for being assaulted he blames Limp Biscuit for starting the riots he says that charging four dollars for water was normal uh you know like all this stuff like so you know regardless of the of the maybe the intention of the documentary or what the filmmaker was going for. If you're giving the most screen time to the guy who has the stupidest opinions about it, then that's what people are going to think is the takeaway from the documentary. And, you know, I thought Jonathan Davis came across. Okay. But I also think they didn't really, he didn't really say a lot. Like he didn't, they didn't really give him a chance. And, And I'm sure the interview they did with him was extensive, but they mm-hmm. didn't give him a, a chance to really say much. Where's Fred Durst? Why didn't they interview Fred Durst? We know Fred likes to he, talk. He wouldn't do it. I don't think you he'd do it. You don't think so? I don't think he likes talking about Woodstock 99. That's fair. Uh, he probably would feel like they would edit it up to make him a, a you know a villain or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're well, probably right on that part. Here's the thing. Uh, uh, they also spend a lot of time talking about the culture and making it sound like new metal was the thing that was driving the culture. Yes. Like there's also all of that time spent to to say like, oh, break stuff, you know. There's a song called Break Stuff. What's that supposed to mean? And and stuff like that where it was like, I don't know. They edited Fred Durst in the doc. Uh uh he a few times during his set, and I verified this with the guys from Podcast 99, which I just did. Uh, he asked people to mellow out a few times during the set, at least yeah. once. He yeah. says, they're up here telling me to tell you to mellow out. Uh, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt or some shit. Yeah. There was no reason not to like have that in the document. Well, and they showed him saying, like, you should, you know, 
fuck shit up or whatever. Like that's what they showed him saying and not the like, yeah, not that part. I know for sure. And, and it's also like some of the ways they were blaming the culture was insane. Like to me, connecting it to Kurt Cobain's death was one of the most psychotic things I've ever heard of in my life. The idea that because Kurt cross dressed and he was sympathetic towards women, I guess was the point they were making that if Nirvana, if he had stayed alive and Nirvana had maintained their status as the most popular band on earth, that all of white male America would have been cooler about all that stuff. It's like, that part of it just blew me away. It's like you're yeah. blaming Woodstock 99 for a guy who died five years before Woodstock 99 and and also kind of blaming new metal on Kurt dying. Like, oh, well, you know, if Kurt hadn't died, then, we, you know, we probably wouldn't have even had corn. It's like, what are <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, that that part of the of the blaming of the culture was insane to me. I mean, truly insane. I mean, that is such a massive leap to make. It just that blew me away. Well, Netflix is doing a four part one. And my hope is that they talk to some new metal fans or people yeah. that were there to maybe see some of the new metal or like, you know, I said this when I was on Chapo, but they could have got a columnist from like metal sucks or Loudwire or something like that to talk and probably would have got something, you know, sort of positive about the thing, you know? Yeah. And about these bands and like had the other side of the conversation. Also, the other bone I want to pick with the documentary is they put a picture of Chino in it where I was yeah. like, no, no, he wasn't even there. You can't blame him. And he sings like sexy, horny music. So yeah. he I mean, there are a lot of women at Deftones concerts. So that was another thing. It's like, why even put him there? He wasn't at the festival and you're painting all this stuff like 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 as oaf music or or worse, actually, than oaf. Yes. So yeah, worse than I oaf, just feel yeah. like they don't spend enough time saying, hey, it wasn't the music that did this. Uh, the music was a reflection of what was going on in the culture at the time. And uh, that's just the way like because in the culture at the time, the, it's not like the music whipped a bunch of dudes up into a frenzy. Other things whipped a bunch of dudes up into a frenzy and that music spoke to them. And, yeah. uh, you know, it it could have been anything really. I, I don't know. It, it, it was just kind of like it felt snotty. In a way, you know, they like I said, they they have spin riders and like anybody that is like has like an, a distance from the festival that were like, you know, either, you know, like MTV VJs or spin riders who would hate Limp Biscuit and corn and stuff like that. They like the strokes or like like. You know, it was just it felt like a bunch of people talking about something without talking to them. Jonathan Davis isn't the fucking guy you ask about this stuff. You ask the fans about it. I understand you get a big celebrity in it. But what the fuck does Jonathan Davis know about any of that? He's in like the eye of the fucking hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think those are all good points. And speaking of Jonathan Davis, let's get to the album we are reviewing this month. It is Corn's 
follow the leader, which Brian, you correctly predicted would win the poll going away. For those of you who maybe don't listen, haven't listened before, uh, the poll was four corn albums. We had already done the self-titled. So we had life is peachy, follow the leader issues and untouchables in the poll and follow the leader one going away. And that's probably not super surprising because it is a, an extremely famous new metal album. It was released on August 18th, 1998. It sold 268,000 copies in its first week of release to top the Billboard 200. It also topped the charts in Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. And uh, it was certified, ended up being certified five times platinum uh, by the Recording Institute, uh, Recording Industry Association of America. And it has sold around 14 million copies worldwide. It was nominated. Freak on a Leash was nominated for nine MTV Video Music Awards, and it won for Best Rock Video and Best Editing. And the music video also won Best Music Video at the 2000 Grammys. Uh, what else do we need to know about this album? It spawned five singles. Fun fact, Brian, you may not know all in the family, the first single from this record somehow. I believe that. Uh, I believe that. Uh, followed up by got the life children of the corn BBK. And then the final single from this album was freak on a leash, which came out in May, uh, May 25th, 1999. Uh, the album was also uh, both the videos for Got the Life and Freak on a Leash were retired on Total Request Live. They were the first two videos ever to be retired on that show because they were simply being requested too many times. And, uh, you know, an absolutely massive album. And uh, it was not produced by Ross Robinson like their first two records were. It was produced by Toby Wright and Steve Thompson. And, uh, Brian, let's talk about our histories with the album. Uh, this, uh, you know, we always get into it. Talk to me about follow the leader when it came out, because we've talked on this show before, uh, you know, you're a little older than me. You're a little older when this came out and you were a big fan of corn in their self-titled and life is peachy era. So I'm curious as to sort of how you responded to, follow the leader when it came out were you still a huge corn guy were you still massively anticipating this or was this sort of the start of the decline uh for you so first when you were naming the the producers of the album and you said steve for some reason i got really excited and thought you were going to say albini yeah steve albini produced follow the leader very famously (laughs) this album that sounds absolutely maximalist uh like every you can hear every dollar that was put into the recording of this album very famous recording technique by steve albini he loved spending as much money as possible yeah I just got so excited. I was like, he's going to say Steve Albini. He's and then you said Steve, whatever the other Steve Thompson. So Toby Wright isn't really known for producing a whole lot. Like corn is his biggest, uh, his biggest credit. Well, he's also uh, been a mixing engineer for Metallica and Alice in Chains, but Steve Thompson has produced uh, records by guns and roses, Madonna, John Lennon, Wu Tang clan, uh, and corn. So he's, he's obviously a pretty huge, uh, pretty huge producer. Yeah, so this album was just an all-encompassing, massive thing for me. It was the first, maybe? Second. God damn it, John. Is this when Corn TV came out, or is that between Corn and Life is Peachy? No, Corn TV came out around this time. So for those of you who don't know what Corn TV is, uh, Corn had actually 
sort of one of the first bands to ever do it. They used the internet uh, to post uh, short clips of the making of this record, as well as short interview clips with the band and stuff like that. Uh, they also did something called the corn campaign uh, where they did like a kind of a political style tour uh, across the country, uh, but not doing shows, just doing uh, sort of like media appearances and and stuff like that. I wonder why I didn't go to the corn. They probably didn't come to Ohio, but uh, the uh, uh, so I watched a lot of the after school specials. I mean, it was frustrating as shit at that time because you know you're on dial up, you're on AOL. Uh, but I would come home every day. And uh, try to watch the after school special because that's what they were calling it. They were calling it after school special. Gotcha. Uh, So like I would try to watch that every day and I loved it. But uh, I was just amped about this fucking album, dude. I I was I mean, no, I think maybe the first album I ever did this with was uh, around the fur. Because we listened to clips of the songs from around the fur on the internet before it came out to find right. out what the album was going to taste like. It sound like it, it was like forty <laughs> seconds. Like. <laughs> yeah, it was forty seconds of lotion, and it was like impossible to know what you were listening to. <laughs> right, but right. Uh, the corn TV thing, like I watched it. I watched a lot of the episodes. I read about it in every fucking magazine. I kept up with any news about corn at that time when this was coming out and it felt like an all encompassing huge fucking thing in my life. When this thing came out, I just, I knew it was going to be the best thing I've ever heard. And, uh, they released albums like, like it was a long time between albums or at least back then it felt like a long time between albums because there wasn't like a lot of information there weren't like singles and stuff coming out and uh uh so i went and bought this album the day before it came out because i went to a record store that would sell stuff the day before Ooh. I went. yeah i did i had a record store and they would say don't fucking tell anybody but that rocks they did it the, for everybody the hmv in vancouver we there used to be one downtown on one of the busiest street corners in vancouver it was a two-story hmv which for those of you who are not canadian that's actually a british chain but it was the most popular cd dvd type chain in canada and they would do they would be open till midnight on the on the night of the i think at that time albums were out on tuesdays um Mm -hmm. so so they would be they'd call it like midnight monday or whatever and the store would stay open until 1 a.m on monday so you if you really wanted an album you could go between midnight and 1 a.m and get it like right then and that was like a big deal i i the only album I can remember doing it for was Kings of Leon because of the times, but I'm sure I did it. <laughs> I'm sure I did it a few other times. Hey, that's a Dan's laughing. That's a great record. I'll go to my grave defending that record. It's a phenomenal record in my opinion. Yeesh. The but, sex is on fire one. No, that's the one after because of the oh, times okay. is because of the times is a, is a great record, but anyway, oh, it doesn't I thought matter. You were making an excuse for Kings of Leon where you're like, I went to buy Kings of Leon time, but it was because of the times we lived in at the time. <laughs> we just thought Kings of Leon Listen, was cool for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we did think Kings of Leon were cool, but but yeah, so I remember that that was like a big thing. You'd go to the you'd go to HMV at midnight and oh, I definitely also did it for Alexis on Fire's Crisis. I remember that, too. Uh, But anyway, Brian, so you got the album the day before. 
And uh, we went to the apartment I was living, the real total shithole apartment I was living in. Was this the one and, where your uh, bedroom was like a guy had a bedroom in the living room that was like covered by a shower curtain or whatever? No, two guys shared one bedroom, the master bedroom, and they just put a tarp between them. Yeah, that's right. It was yeah. that apartment. And I was I had my own room, but Katie was living in it with me. So there were four people living in a two bedroom garden apartment. It, it was shitty. It was a shit hole, that place. Uh, but um, got it home and we popped that fucking thing in and me and all my friends sat on a goddamn couch and smoked cigarettes and listened to this album and like it was motherfucking fdr giving a speech or something <laughs> like that like a fireside chat and just through the whole thing we're like this is fucking good man this is fucking crazy and we thought it was so fresh that they started the album on track 13 for some right. reason. We yeah, just there was like was 40 minutes in the world, 40 minutes of silence or whatever. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's, there's varying theories about that. So obviously there's the, the obvious theory that it starts on track 13, uh, because follow, sorry, because the self titled their first album was 12 tracks long. And this one was called follow the leader. So it's ostensibly, a no. follow up to the first album. That's one of the theories. Jonathan Davis says it's because uh, it's because the record is 13 songs long and he didn't want it to end on track 13. He thought that that was bad luck. So they started it on track 13 instead of finishing it on track 13. That's the other theory as to why it started with that. But another fun fact is that depending on where you bought the record, how the silence was divided up was different. So the original physical release has either 25 tracks, 19 tracks or 55 tracks. And depending on how, <laughs> depending on which one you got was how they divided up the silence. And then, yeah, it says in interviews, Jonathan Davis mentioned he was very superstitious and did not want to end an album on track 13 later editions, move the silent tracks before the music, either with 12 hidden tracks of five second silence six hidden tracks of five second silence or 42 hidden tracks of five second silence. Mine started at 13. It had like two, like, you know, tw five seconds of silence uh, from one through and then it 12. started on 13. Yeah. Gotcha. 12. So yeah, that's really the one short. I had too. Okay. I remember it having it starting on 13 was the one I had. And uh, I remember, I think I've told this story on the pod before. I remember the copy I bought talked about the silence. There's like a sticker ah. on the front. There's like a sticker on the front oh. that like was like advert. It was like, this has 12 tracks of silence before. And it was like, what? Why? What? I think they were trying to make <laughs> it some kind of weird selling point. I bet what it was, was the record label was like, listen, you got to tell people you got to give them some sort of warning like yeah. that because people are going to look at the back and be like, this starts on 13. Like what the fuck? And so, yeah, it literally said on the front of mine, but it was like a promo sized sticker of like includes 12 tracks of silence. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> like, okay, that doesn't Those seem like a good, good tracks. Yeah. At all. That doesn't seem like a good thing at all. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like those songs. Period. I'll no. skip past the silence. I'm not super into silence. I don't know about you guys. Not for me. There's something a little fucking off to me about starting on track 13, but doing a song called It's On. 
Like for some yeah. reason, I just feel like you put it's on at one and then have 12 tracks of silence and then freak on a leash yeah. on uh 14, I guess it would be. Maybe yeah. that's something you could do. Really, it could have 14 tracks on it and just had one track of silence. Would yeah, because perfectly fine. What I was going to say is like, so for me, this is this album is what got me into new metal. I mean, I, I heard Freak on a Leash on much music and it just like blew my little mind. Uh, at the time, I was very like into pop punk. I was like Green Day, Weezer, Blink-182, that kind of thing. And I just I don't know what it was. I think the video for Freak on a Leash was super cool. And I just thought Korn seemed so cool to me. They seemed like the ultimate cool guys, which is funny. Now, looking back, I feel like they're kind of all like huge geeks. But like at the time, I just thought Korn was so cool. And this was the album that got me into new metal in general, but into Korn too. So I was curious because I felt like maybe if you're into Korn and life is peachy, this is so different from that. That like, was there any like initial shock as to sort of how polished this is and how sort of together it is? Because I think both Korn and Life is Peachy have, uh, you know, they're sort of a little bit looser. There's a little bit more, there's a little bit more um, edge to them, I guess you could say. I think Life is Peachy sounded a little cleaner than Korn. It sounded cleaner than than Korn for sure, but it still had a bit of that looseness, definitely. And that like really... um, heavy like dirt dirgy heavy type production on it right um i don't know i was kind of excited about that a little right. bit that it was going to sound a little bit better by this time it was just kind of like well you know they're going to try something new it's going to be clearer sounding it's gonna it's just gonna it might sound a little better i don't know if i'm gonna like it more but uh when it started i was like wow this is like I think like what happened when I think about it now without me even thinking it was uh, I was just impressed with how like when I first heard it, I was like, this shit sounds like this sounds professional, like it sounded clearer, but it really was just that it sounded professional. When I think about it now, it's like these guys are like actually making like I think I might have like looked at it like classic rock almost by that point or like real mainstream rock music because it didn't sound as dingy as the other two for sure no question no question i mean it seems like it seems like corn knew that they were on the edge of something big and that they needed to be almost more like a rock band for lack of like a better way of putting that like they i think they knew that they were on the cusp of something. And, and Jonathan Davis mentions that he talks about it. And I think we've got a couple articles we're going to get to later, but one of the articles, I think it's the one from the ringer, uh, which was from in 2018 written by your best friend, actually, Stephen Hyden. Um, but uh, where he, where he talks <laughs> about Jonathan, exactly. Jonathan Davis talks about how Epic, their label got like so behind it that they were like really, really pushing the album they were totally cool with them paying Todd McFarlane a ton of money to do the cover and do the videos. And like, it just seems like they were, you know, they were raw and they were of the moment, but they were also in ways like pushed very hard by the label in a way that like a rock band, I don't think would be pushed by a label now. And I think Jonathan Davis even mentions that where he's like, no one gives a shit about rock music anymore. And the labels won't push, 
uh, won't push rock bands anymore that we were sort of the last one that they, uh, that they pushed kind of. Yeah. He's, he's right about it. And it, it sounds so good compared to the other two albums. And as I'm older, I, I find myself going back to follow the leader a lot more than, than life is peachy and corn. Oh, totally. Uh, I love the songs on here that don't suck. Like I, can't get enough of them and even some of the songs that suck i'm like oh yeah i mean that's something you know like i don't hate them yeah so i mean i can't even imagine like again like i said i think freak on a leash was my first exposure to corn and then i got into got the life after that and then got the record but i couldn't even imagine being a corn fan and hearing it's on like for the first time like putting that on a stereo and hearing it like that song absolutely whips. I mean, it is yeah. such a good song. It's so cool. The like the opening sort of drum fill with the sort of squawky guitar riff that they're doing. And then it just like explodes. I mean, it just it doesn't sound like anything Korn did before that. Like the production no. is so shiny and it explodes out of the speakers. And Jonathan Davis sounds like a million bucks, like probably literally. Um, and just is like, it's all like just it's oh my gosh. I mean, I was listening to this. I mean, I've listened to this album a bunch of times in my life. I never really stopped liking it. Even when I didn't like new metal for a while or I sort of got away from listening to it. I never really stopped liking it. But I mean, listening to it for this review i was just like my god what a song that is i mean there's obviously tons of good songs in this record but like to start your album with that song to me was just like mm, it just like kicks you right in the fucking chest and i, I love it's also it. it's also funny man because this look in retrospect as an adult who's read a lot about music a lot of books about music and stuff like that this album is like the classic sort of bloated rock and roll album from a band that the label's really getting behind, you know, like for sure. There is a lot on this album. They definitely like, every idea corn ever had. They put on here for sure. Yeah. Even the bad ones. They even put a few bad oh. ideas. It's oh. like a dream album. It, it, we really get the sense it was a real dream. Like they were just living all of their dreams that they had had over, you know, the first five years of them being a band, five, six years of them being a band. And like now I, I love that. I, I think. And back then. I saw it as variety and it was exciting for me. I think I was already moving in the direction of getting into more like alt rock or, or, or whatever I ended up getting into after that. So the variety was really great. You know, I had just gotten way into the Wu-Tang clan before this album came out and, and camel was just like, and the and and children of corn just finding out that those acts were on there was like oh my god there's fucking hip hop on here you know i was just i was so i was so into the variety this album has my favorite corn song on it and, i know uh, and people uh, will be surprised to learn what your favorite corn song is cuz i don't think it's anywhere close to corn's best song Oh, God, it's so good. I do have to say this, though. You know, you talked about the first feeling you got when you heard It's On and that this album came to you via Freak on the Leash. Uh, 
That song took me a long time to get used to. Freak on a Leash. Like a very long time. Like you didn't like it at first? No. No. Oh, interesting. And why? Just because of the scatting you thought? Oh, okay. No, I liked the scat. I liked ball tongue and I liked twist. So the scatting wasn't really a problem. It's like a more... It's hard for me to describe now, but it does feel like kind of a mess arrangement wise when you listen to it. Like it just, I don't know. It's a chugging sort of thing. And it, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's the sound of the song has always been kind of off putting to me. I, I ended up falling in love. I love it now. It's a good song, but there's just something about it back then that was like, I don't know, man. Maybe it just didn't feel like a natural corn song and it doesn't particular it's not really heavy at all. No, it's not. I mean the chorus is a bit driving and there's the like go like that part's a bit heavy, you know, but yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Like I think Freak on a Leash is sort of emblematic of a lot of the songs on this record, which are sound like three different songs. Like a lot of the songs are just like three different song ideas all kind of put together. Like there are so many pre-choruses and bridges on this record. And I think part of it is probably obviously, like we've already said, they were sort of allowed to indulge in whatever ideas they had they were they were sort of you know it was whatever there was no bad ideas when they were making this but i also think corn had a pretty strict ethos of not having guitar solos so i think when you're making metal or metal adjacent music and you're taking solos out of it then you need to have other things right and so it was like this whole album comes across as like corn finding different ways to make songs interesting that weren't just like, okay, around the three minute mark, we all drop out and then head or monkey fires off a huge solo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know there, the song. Oh, okay. Here's the word that pops into my head is plotting. It feels plotting to me okay, uh, for some reason in a way that just, I don't know. It took me a very long time. I I know that I I know that I was shocked finding out that was the single when it came out because I was like, Fuck, that's like the worst song on the album. You know, at at the time, All in the Family was a good song. We we thought that song was the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. But like, I thought Freak on a Leash was actually the worst song on this album. Wow. So it was really surprising that that the way that I ended up, it ended up being just like massive, massive. Yeah. I mean, obviously the video helped, right? Like the video was so cool. I mean, I remember people who didn't even like corn, like would say they liked that song. And I don't even know that they liked the song. They just liked watching the video. Like the video was so cool with the bullet time. And then they're in the room and the bullet keeps going in and out of the room. Like it was just, such a cool and it had the animation in it too like it was just such a cool video still is i mean the video is 23 years old it still feels like a modern video in a lot of ways like it's very cool um but yeah it's it's funny i will say one thing for me is that i think as time went on i realized how much better of a song got the life is 
I think like of the two big singles on this record, I think got the life is clearly a better song than freak on a leash. Whereas I think when I was younger and this album first came out, I would have never said that. I, I like, I never didn't like got the life, but I always would have been like, Oh, well freak on a leash. I mean, that's just like the best song in the world. Um, and then I think, yeah, when you learn a little bit more about music and you listen to more music, you understand as like a construction, uh, got the life is a better song. And I would probably argue got the life is corn's best song period. Ooh, um, okay. It's, well, it's now pretty, we it's firmly have a disagreement <laughs> here. I mean, it's good. I loved it. You know, it actually also lives up to the sort of thing that, uh, uh, static X claims to be where it like lives up to like the kind of disco. Yeah. Disco metal. metal. Yeah, yeah, that's what disco metal sounds like. Is that song? I agree. Uh, uh, and the video, even just was the so drums, cool. right? Like the drums have disco. It's disco drumming. It's the. It's like the slightly yeah. off time disco beat, like for sure. I mean, they John says get your boogie on in it. There's like a section yep. that's just like get your boogie on. Like, yeah, no, for sure. And it felt maximalist too, and still does. Like to me, when you hear that opening, like like that huge snare flam right off the top you're like oh fuck strap in baby let's go <laughs> it rocks yeah. i mean i've heard i've heard got the life like probably 500 times in my life and i would listen Absolutely. to it again i'd listen to it again right now and i would love every second of it <laughs> i love it too i love it uh i remember hearing it the first time and again it felt like a, a dancing song to me it didn't it doesn't feel like metal in a weird way like the guitar tone isn't super i don't know it doesn't sound crunchy at all no. i guess would i mean would i think corn wanted people to dance to these songs i think like i think they that's what they want they like corn even on their even on the self-titled and life is peachy there were some funky groovy elements to corn and i think that they really leaned into it on this record and and i think it, they never got this groovy again, actually. Like, I think Issues and Untouchables, they leaned more into their sort of gothy, moody side as opposed to their groovy side. And I think this was like, this was, if you think Corn is a pop band, this is like the record that you point to where you go, yeah, they were like a pretty poppy band at one point in time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I really, uh, yeah, I, I think... I think like everything they did on, they were making pop music here. I mean, you look at like every song on here could have maybe been a hit. Um, oh yeah. Some of them maybe more than others. I, I, you know, it really surprises me that BBK didn't really hit as a single. Unless, what a song. What a song. Yeah. I love it. And was, was there not a video for it? Cause that's the other thing. I don't think there's a video for all in the family and I no. don't think there's a video for BBK. So they might've been singles released as singles, but really the only two singles on this album are got the life and freak on a leash. Cause yeah, those there was were no... the songs with videos. Yeah. So the, I think what it is really is this is like the late nineties we're talking about, right? So when we're talking singles, we're talking things that were released to radio and were designed to chart. Right. So like you didn't necessarily have to have a music video because back then, too, is that you had to if you didn't release 
a song as a single, it could not chart on the billboard charts. That's obviously mm-hmm. changed now with streaming and everything. But so corn probably, yeah. Like, so children of the corn is also a single, no video for that. Um, all in the family, no video for that. Although they might've done one after they did the family values tour where they sort of, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I guess they probably did play it there. I don't remember. I, I, I'm they sure definitely they played it. It's on the family values. Um, it's on the family values VHS because they show them playing it on Halloween. They're all dressed in costumes and, and Fred Durst comes out to play it with, uh, with John Davis. And um, yeah, I mean, do we want to talk about all in the family? I mean, I think people want us to talk about it. So we will, we will. Well, okay. yeah, sure. Let's go into all in the family. <laughs> Actually, I think we do it this way. I think there's a better way to do this. And I think the good way to do this is to start with the first gimmick song, uh, which is Children of the Corn. Sure. Which is okay. a purely a gimmick song. And it's very funny. I think and it rocks. It rocks. It's Children good. of the Corn rocks. It's an it's awesome funny, song. Though. It is funny for sure. Attention all parents. <laughs> Report yeah. to your local churches. Report to your local police departments. Oh yeah, it rocks. I mean, and like the end where Ice Cube's just like the parents are the kids. It won't be the kids. It won't be the kids. <laughs> like Yeah. These are like men in their 30s. Yeah. Being like writing like rebel anthems for 13-year-olds. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. And that's that's what I think is so I think that song. I mean, I always felt like the Jonathan Davis line. Uh, I can s- look and see. I see I the, see the parents, parents hating me. <laughs> That's cool. That is a good fucking lyric. If I am, I if I ever got to meet Jonathan Davis, I'd be like that lyric fucking changed my life. Like that was just. <laughs> It's one of those fucking lyrics where you hear it. And you're like, damn, man, that is cool as hell. Like, I think he doesn't one, care that parents hate him. <laughs> I think one thing, too, that does stick out about this album is I think on self-titled and life is peachy. And we've talked about this. We talked about this when we did the corn self-titled it is Jonathan Davis was sort of vague about um how you could relate to him, right? Like, so he was, he was talking about his childhood. He obviously had a bad childhood and, and he was sort of, you know, very frank about that. But, you know, if you were a kid who didn't go through those things, I mean, I grew up in a two parent household. My parents never divorced. I was comfortable growing up. I still related to the emotion of it just because I was like young and frustrated and angry, even if my parents hadn't abused me or harassed me or whatever. And I think, but I think it's subtle or it's vague. It's like, he's just telling stories about his life and you either connect with them or you don't where on follow the leader. It seems much more pointed. Like we, we, us and the kids are against the adults and this is music for kids and and adults don't get it and fuck them for not getting it and we're all against them here it it feels a lot more explicit than you know some of the other examples of it um on on the earlier records yeah yeah uh uh it is very hilarious songs uh uh i like ice cube yelling like how you gonna tell me who to date where to skate like all that stuff how to live yeah yeah, it's a fucking hilarious song. And it is like lining up against parents is always going to be fucking cool, man. 
It's always a winning move if you're in a fucking rock band. Maybe that's why rock bands aren't big anymore. They don't fucking say, like, parents, turn this shit off, losers. (laughs) We're fucking me and the kids are talking, okay? Yeah. So uh, uh, there is that. Uh, And then we go to our next gimmick song, which is All in the Family, a song that is a bad idea if you ever have an idea like all in the family let that one go let it go imagine you know what is funny about all in the family i'll say this the song on significant other with jonathan davis and scott wyland is one of the best songs on that album for sure by far for sure and then he gets fred so we know that corn and Fred Durst could make something badass. Corn and Deftones made a badass song, Wicked. When Chino rapped on yep. Wicked, that's so good. very cool. Okay. Very cool. Very cool song. But Corn gets a hold of Limp Biscuit to guest on an album. And this is what they did. <laughs> this one almost hurts Corn's like image in a weird way, too. Oh, it definitely does. They weren't. I mean, beyond all the problematic stuff, I'm saying they weren't a band that did. They weren't a band that did funny songs. Like, I guess they had done Adidas and Cunt. I guess they were doing more funny songs, but this one just seemed like it crossed a funny line to me where it was like, this is too funny, boys. You got to dial it back a little bit. For sure. I mean, I think, yeah, it's so the, so the concept here, I mean, obviously the one thing that gets me, okay. So first of all, here's a great quote, uh, or not, it's not even a quote, just a fact. Originally the song was to be performed by be real from Cypress Hill and his record label said no. So already if you're corn and you send the song to Cypress Hill and they're like, yeah, we got, we'll do it for sure. We just got to run it by the label. And the label's like, nah, we're not going to let you be real of Cypress Hill, the ba- the weed smoking rap band that's famous for smoking weed. We're not going to let you do this. Maybe that should have like twigged something in their brain. It said, apparently the song came up because Davis and Durst would often offer suggestions for each other's lyrics a lyric written by Durst as tootin' on your bagpipe was changed to what you might imagine rhymes with bagpipes and involves a homophobic slur by Davis, who stated, I helped him bag on me better. In 2015, Jonathan Davis referred to the song as the dumbest fucking track Corn ever did, attributing the song to the excessive drugs and alcohol consumed during the album's production, which absolutely does not excuse the song but it does maybe explain a little bit how it got made of just like they're fucking around in the studio they're drunk as fuck they're like hey remember that time i rhymed bagpipes with the other thing we should let's do a song and then they're just like laughing and they're high out of their mind and because we want i mean we watched who then now we made nick weiger beautiful precious Nick Weiger of the Doughboys sit through who then now by corn. I think you can agree, Brian, they're not funny guys. Their, their idea of what is funny is wrong and bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, when they're high and they're like, dude, this would be so funny. We should totally do this. This is what comes out. It's just like, Oh, I mean it, I don't understand how, 
you get here. I don't, I just don't get it. It, 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 This is like, it was funny listening to this song in the wake of the Woodstock 99 documentary, because to me, this is like almost proof of some of the points they were trying to make in that documentary where rap diss tracks have been around forever. Right. And, And funny ones where two rappers who like each other are kind of bagging on each other. This has been going around forever in hip hop. And obviously corn and limp biscuit had a lot of reverence for those hip hop acts. And then like, this is like the white toxic masculinity version of a hip hop diss track. It's like, this is like proving the point of people who are like new metal is dangerous music. It's like, this is what happens when you let two rich, famous white guys do black music. Essentially, this is, they're going to take all of their worst impulses and make it into this. Yeah. Here's what I also think too. And this is not excusing Fred Durst at all kind of wonder if jonathan davis wrote a lot of fred durst's verses because they come i mean it does they were a little personal a little bit like jonathan davis says at least i have a fat original band that's p-h-a-t people that's the thing we used to say we used to call things (laughs) cool by calling them fat um but uh (laughs) it just is the lyrics in this are in fucking embarrassing and uh, bad, you know, like homophobic as hell and uh, among other different things. So it's just like this doesn't get made now at all. And well, I know. Yeah, of course. I know they can't feel good about it now either. Like, Ugh, why did we do that? Um, so For sure. Fred what probably th- does. One thing that really gets me too is that even at the time, critics hated this song, right? Like, I mean, I think, I think people think of it. it, I think people think of it like, oh, well, you know, that was 1998. People wouldn't have cared as much back then. But Rolling Stone gave the album five stars. So Rolling Stone gave Follow the Leader five stars, but still included this in their review. It's too bad that Korn can go so easily from the potent to the pointless. The very next track, All in the Family, is an MC duel between Davis and Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit, a stomping hip-hop track with a good-natured barrage of insults, except for the F-slur and fairy cracks and lame-o lines like suck my dick, kid, like your daddy did, and you're an F-slur and on a lower level. To Davis and Durst, they may just be harmless schoolyard jivin, but Davis knows words can hurt. That was the whole point of Faget on Corn, and the homosexual slams in All in the Family cheapen, at least for those five minutes, the power and integrity of an album otherwise devoted to kicking it against cruelty and prejudice. So the, the, the follow the leader review in Rolling Stone is only four paragraphs long. And that's one of the full paragraphs in the review. <laughs> so giving it five yeah. stars and saying it's a great album while still slamming it shows that like, cause I think we would think like you said, Brian, you loved the song in 1998. And I think I didn't, I never liked the song just cause I don't like it. I don't think it's a good song. Like I think the beat sucks and I don't think it's an interesting song. Um, so I never liked it, but I it wasn't because of the slurs in it that those never really felt like, Oh, what, you know, but so it's interesting, I think to look back and see that there were adults in the room, I guess, ostensibly who were like, no, this is like really uncool and and shitty of them. 
Yeah, it was too. It was uh uh Yeah, that song just sucks shit, man. It is It sucks shit. It's bad. It's hard to I mean the it it's low effort music too. Yes, you big know, time. the music sounds very low effort. I, I, I'm sure if they could just never put this on another pressing, I know there aren't pressings, but yeah, it's just one of those regrettable things that you do, especially when you're drinking a lot. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the no, other for sure, it's, song. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you know, well, I was just going to say, especially like I agree, like basically every song on this album goes in aside from all in the family and the one you're about to talk about. So it's just like, imagine we got rid of both of those songs. This album would be a Brian's perfecto, but unfortunately it could never be. It would be, but it's not camel camel toasts though. I never disliked, but it is a gimmicky song. I never liked it. Yeah, it doesn't fit with the album. It's like they that's what if if I got to give this album uh, like one little ding, you know, is that I don't know how much they thought about the order of the songs, because I just don't think you spread these three songs out through the whole thing. And I also just think this vibe sucks, man. The vibe of this song just sucks. And uh, at the time, I thought it was really cool. I probably thought it was romantic, but I have the lyrics (laughs) up in front of me and it's not very romantic. But at the time, I just was like, this guy's like singing about, you know, his chick or whatever. But um, I don't know, man. Not a good song, uh, but not as offensive as All in the Family. And I guess that's it. You know, Uh, uh, Jonathan Davis's lyrics in this are atrocious atrocious so bad you know and it's yeah it's interesting because i just think i think there's so many cool songs on here i think almost everything they try is really good i think they're like even the deep cuts like dead bodies everywhere bbk reclaim my place justin like all those songs bang hard and it's like man it just sucks that they get sort of dragged down a little bit by yeah some of these sort of gimmicky and and like less good Less good songs, you know? This guy's goofing off, man. I think some of this album was guys goofing off and, like, living their dream. Part of why I can, like, forgive some of it. And and uh, if you're corn, you're releasing an album, you want it to be huge, you do know uh, that your hardcore fans will be excited to hear a song with Fred Durst. It just, it's a shame they didn't maybe try on the the fred durst guess spot i guess is is how i feel because again that that song on significant other is so fucking good uh yeah i'm trying to remember the name of that for some nobody like i'm very high nobody like you yeah so like i love that song uh just wish they would have taken it seriously yeah go now here is something else i'm gonna say the the tracks that you would call like album cuts on here i have like a lot i have a lot of love for a lot of them um oh me too me too i mean i love seed i love pretty i love uh uh bbk reclaim my place uh those are all songs that i absolutely love but before i 
get to what my favorite song is, I have to talk about one that is because the gimmick songs look children of corn is a really funny song okay uh uh camel tosis eh, whatever it's a rap song all in the family not very funny but in my old age track 10 justin is the funniest song on this album and it i cannot listen to it without smiling a little bit because the lyrics on this song are fucking hilarious <laughs> it's an insane i mean it's an insane song i mean i love yeah i i love the song i mean i do love the song i think it's i think it's a really well constructed song but i do it is very funny and and it's like it's interesting because you know jonathan davis obviously mined a lot of his personal life for for his songs and on Corn and Life is Peachy, a lot of that was around the sort of bullying and abuse and all that stuff he took in his childhood. And then um, and then he was out of ideas by Follow the Leader. He's like, well, I kind of talk, I, you know, I talked about my dad. I talked about my stepmom. So I got like, I guess I'm kind of I talked about my schooling and I got bullied. So now what do I talk about? And then he's like, well, when I was a mortician, I saw an 18 month old girl who was uh, dead and um, was, uh, was sexually abused. So I'll write a whole song about that. The people would love to hear that. Wouldn't they? They'd love to hear a song about that. That's cool song material. And then Justin is like you say, very objectively funny. Now looking back where basically the song, if you don't know, it's, it's about essentially a make a wish where uh, a kid, a kid who was dying, um, his make a wish was to meet corn and Jonathan Davis um, really didn't know how to deal with that and thought, you know what? This kid would probably like a tribute song about him. And I'm going to make the whole thing about how it was really awkward for me. And also like, just you're this kid and you're like chilling and they're like, Oh, you know, corn released a new album unless he died before the album come out. But, uh, Oh, corn released a new album and they named a song after you. To, to Justin, right? He turns it on and uh, he's like, here's the first part. He's like, you watch me play. I look away. Your lights turn bright. You found the light. So Jonathan Davis in this first verse is saying like, I, you know, I'm glad you like what I do. Totally reasonable thing to say in a song like this. When you're writing a song about this, that's a very reasonable statement to make then the second verse starts with the word you're gonna die <laughs> like, yeah and you're like bro like do you have to like <laughs> yeah like point that out and then it's you want to meet me why uh it just <laughs> why the you're gonna die line <laughs> yeah totally uh, so apparently, um, just doing a very quick amount of research here, uh, corn would have met Justin around the life is peachy era. And then he died before follow the leader. Uh, um, oh, so he so, didn't have to hear it. Okay. So, so apparently the, the, the 12 tracks of silence, 12 times five seconds of silence is 60 seconds. And that is meant to be a minute of silence for Justin. Oh, okay. Well, that's another good reason. 
But, but yeah, this is the this is the exact song. quote. Uh, the song was about a boy named Justin who was dying of intestinal cancer. His last wish was to meet the members of Corn. Lead singer John Davis said, "It really freaked me out. That threw a whole bunch of new kind of pressures on my head. That's really intense. Someone's going to die, and his last thing he wants to do is come hang out with us. So I just truly freaked out. It's like, why would you want to meet me? What makes me so special?" Yeah weird weird thing to write a song about but you gotta understand them nobody's ever wanted to make a wish meet me and uh, uh <laughs> it might be a little weird if that had happened to me in my life so i i i'll let him go it just has always been like a his his expression of those feelings is very funny to me <laughs> <laughs> for some reason uh another thing i really like about this album just uh uh the the song reclaim my place i think is very good and i incredible. think incredible fucking awesome that they made that song first you named the album follow the leader then you put a fucking song on it called reclaim my place and it's just like you know fucking significant other has been launched limp biscuit is just blasted off into the stratosphere and then fucking follow the leader comes out and it's got a song on it called reclaim my place and it's like a pro wrestler couldn't write a better fucking storyline <laughs> well significant other wasn't out yet but um oh it wasn't okay three dollar well, three dollar bill y'all was faith had come out faith had been yes, a big hit. faith had come I out think for is, sure is that's right okay so faith had become a big hit and and he was just kind of like, hey, man, you know, uh, uh, they don't play our videos on MTV very much. But this Limp Biscuit video is on TRL every day because Faith was big on TRL. For sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, that Corn actually uh, just looking here again, they posted a picture with Justin a few years ago on their Instagram. There's a it's a looks like it's a picture of Ross Robinson, monkey and head. And then the caption was, we loved playing the song Justin uh, for Corn Monumental. Uh, Justin, pictured here next to Brian Welch and Monkey, was our first Make-A-Wish Foundation visit. We were writing Follow the Leader in Gardena, California when we met him. He came to our rehearsal and spent the day with us. He was so happy and excited to meet us and couldn't believe he was watching us write a song, which ended up being the song Justin, named after him. He passed away, unfortunately, a few months after the photo was taken, but we were happy to keep Justin's memory alive with our song. That's sweet of them to do. I I give them a little credit. So, yeah. And now I have to say the best corn song ever made. Ever made. My, my gift to you. Not only the best corn song ever made, the best new metal song ever made. This is the top of the art form and nothing was above it. It's so fucking good. John, did you freeze up? I think we lost John. Yeah. Oh, we uh, lost John. Oh, he's back. He's back. Sorry, guys. Oh, you locked up. I was like, are you just like wanting me to explain more? Explain more. No. uh, Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Like, I think my gift to you is a good song. I would never. I would never call it one of Korn's best songs, and I certainly would never call it one of uh, New Metal's best songs. Not one of the. This is a fucking stance I'm taking right now. Okay. That this song is the best New Metal song okay. at 
out of all of them. I even made a list one day, and this was the number one new metal song. It's just that's that's the world we live in, unfortunately. Just I such think, a good song. I think you and I should eventually do an episode where we talk about what we think the best new metal songs are. I I mean, this song is just uh, it's heavy as shit. Jonathan Davis sounds like full on cool. And uh, that fucking dun, 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 that fucking riff is so badass, man. Just uh, they should still be playing that song live every single show they do. It is just it's maybe their heaviest song and it's just fucking heavy, man. It just kicks ass. It feels like a Heat O'Brien song because most of it is a horny. Most of it's about sex. So I was like surprised you'd be so into it. Well, the lyric, I I think the 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 what it's about is kind of stupid. You know, for people that don't know, he's singing about how he he would like to choke a woman to death while having sex. So that is stupid. But. It's extremely it's a it's one of the dumbest like songs, but it all just sounds really good to me. And and again, the fucking riffs in this song are so heavy. It's just man, it's a good song. It, it's just I can't think of any any song that gets it right more than this one. OK, I mean, I'll just I, I won't. I'm not going to rain on your parade. I'll allow that to just stand as it is. And people, people can agree with you or disagree with you as they see fit. We're running out of time. Do we want to mention uh, some of the articles really briefly? Uh, what do you yeah. want to? Yeah. So we, the one I know you liked for sure. And you were mad at me because I made you read it on Google books. Uh, but that's the only way to find spin articles anymore. Uh, this was a, uh, not a cover story, but a feature on corn, uh, in, in spin in August of, or sorry, November of 1998. So the record came out in August. So this is three months after that. The title of the article is please love them. Their corn. Uh, and it's got some moody photos of all the corn uh, guys. And then the lead of the article is raging male hormones and crippling self-doubt may not be a prescription for maximum emotional stability, but 2 million corn fans wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, Brian, what, uh, what were some of the things you picked out of this article? Cause this, this article is insane. I'm going to be honest with you. This thing is nuts. Well, our thesis from who then now was, was shown to be true from yes. this spin article yes. because they come off as total fucking assholes. Yeah. Uh, uh, they just, they're, they're fucking bugging people backstage, like trying to intimidate people. Ben's Ben folds five. I don't, I I don't know what Ben folds did to Jonathan Davis other than just exist. But uh, I think that's something he would take back now. I I think a lot of this spin article was just due to them being maybe young or in a state of arrested development. Maybe not even, maybe they are in their thirties, but they've been famous rock stars since their twenties and didn't really grow up. I think Jonathan Davis uh, said he was 27 at the time they were recording follow the leader. So yeah. So they were just being idiots. They were famous. They had money. 
Uh, they had a hit album, and uh, so they were bugging guys like like uh, uh, Primal Scream. Oh yeah, uh, Fieldy picks a fight with them by saying, "You look like my uncle Bob" over and over again, and then he exasperated Shirley Manson by incessantly sticking a coy toy keychain in her face and setting off annoying sounds without a word of explanation and then jonathan davis yelled at goldie fuck you dick when the loquacious junglist d- didn't recognize him so woof, man that's always a good way like- to get people to recognize you is to yell fuck you dick at people who don't recognize them and it's like it's very weird because it's like uh yeah it says that even junkie XL, a friendly big beat dance band from Amsterdam will turn down dinner with corn because although they like the music, they've heard corn are a bunch of assholes. I wonder why. And then the author writes, but they're wrong. Corn aren't assholes. They just want some love. And when they don't get it, they act out. No, that means you're an asshole. That's actually exactly what would make you an asshole. And then Jonathan Davis says, we go to these goddamn festivals and no fucking goddamn band will love us. The good naturedly angst ridden Davis gripes in his Tokyo hotel room after a drunken night on the town. We get no fucking love at all. It's like we're in our own little world. We're not that goddamn scary. What the goddamn fuck for once in my life, please love me. I'm in corn. Which is just like, I mean, come on, man. They sell so many albums. I don't know how, I I guess I know the feeling, right? Where you're like, people don't respect me enough, I guess. I I, I don't really get that. But if I'm corn and other musicians think I'm a loser, but uh, I have a million fans, the other musicians are what I'm going to fixate on. That is perfectly how i am now another part of this piece that i hated was uh uh the freak on a leash part where they talk about taking the heavy part out of out of freak on a leash and fieldy says everybody who wants to take the biohazard part out of freak on a leash raise your hand and then four out of five of them raise their hand and uh head says i want a bigger house i want a bigger house so i mean listen I want that too. You can't have the spin <laughs> reporter around and then talk about selling out. Then last thing I'll complain about, but uh, when they're driving in the van on the way to the thing, Fieldy out of nowhere just yells, whose dick hurts from jacking off. And uh, uh, wow. Like these guys, <laughs> I don't want to be around these guys ever these guys are the guys that were sitting on the fucking semi truck at no that's kind of mean because i i stuck up for corn but they're just assholes they seem like enormous fucking assholes yeah fuck yeah they seem terrible and then the whole article paints them like assholes and then they and then they taught the the author talks about how they had a bad set at this festival in fact, corn yeah. set is a disaster. The show starts late. Head cracks his noggin open on his guitar and the blackened stage is so sunbaked that the band is forced to spend much of their show with their backs to the audience playing to actual metal fans turned on high. They are blowing a lukewarm breeze on the other side of the drummer. 
though the tens of thousands of Japanese kids at the festival never having seen corn before go crazy. They even open up a mosh pit, a rarity at Japanese shows. The band is thoroughly miserable. We sucked fieldy snaps on his way off stage. And you can print that <laughs> just just like yeah. I just, you know, ugh, yeah. They seem just so terrible to hang out with, quite honestly. And we talked Too about high that, energy. that now. High energy, drunk on drugs, insufferable. S- stupid. Stupid. Extremely is, stupid, man. Stupid is a big thing, too. I only have a, a, a few other things from the other articles uh, uh, that I could sure. do like in two seconds. Sure. Corn uh, vocalist Jonathan Davis is pleasantly shocked by the industry nod, but he can't help. So this is talking about uh, uh, the Grammys, him getting a Grammy nomination. He goes, yes, but this is from Rolling help- Stone. He can't help chuckling at the heavy metal tag. They got to come up with a new name for it, he says. And it's like, dude, you're heavy metal. I mean, what do you want him to make a new metal Grammy? <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. they weren't even calling it by then uh uh then the next thing i saw was uh this is a perfect example of these guys this is how i deal with life by screaming about it davis says matter of factly basically i just want to capture that fucking pissed off 13 year old i'm getting hair on my dick my voice is dropping that period of my life really fucked with me it's like the way you mention it though is like everybody you know, got hair on their dick and stuff at that time. Well, so and just like, like, yeah, there was definitely a point where corn felt like they had to be this sort of kind of quasi dickish slash scary band. Like he goes, Jonathan Davis in the same article goes on to say, I was an autopsy assistant starting when I was 16 years old. Davis says of his pre corn night job at the Kern County coroner's office in Bakersfield, I could cut up flesh and not have to go to jail. Yeah, that dude cannot get enough of telling that story. He either. can. He loves to talk loves about it. it. But then he hey, goes on. This. I, I loved it. Oh. I love cutting up people and not having to go to jail. But then pulling too many dead people out of cars spooked me. He says the singer hasn't driven in five years. So it's like, which <laughs> one is it? Now? Is it is it that you were stoked to cut up flesh legally or are you scared of it? Make up my mind. He's such an edge lord, dude. He's yes. just an edge lord, is what he, he is. is. This last sure. one, uh, uh, I got two more things here. They're three more. They're short. This is First from the Ringer all, profile from uh, August 2018 by Brian's best friend Stephen Hyden. The title is "Cocaine Speed and Cocaine Speed and Gallons of Jack Daniels." The last rock and roll superstars were dot 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 corn. Okay, go ahead. I don't hate Stephen Hyden. He doesn't like me. Yes. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, Jonathan Davis's sons are named Pirate and Zeppelin. That that's just one thing I wanted to put out there a little yeah. bit. It's like those are don't name your kid pirate. Like that is a real like <laughs> Jonathan Davis heard about talk like a pirate day and was like, "Oh, fucking pirates are cool, man." Especially like when zombie. his first kid's name was Nathan. Like he was married yeah. before he got married to Devin. He uh he was just married to someone and their first kid was named Nathan. Then he gets married to a porn star and he's like, "Nope, pirate and Zeppelin." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, 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 pirate and Zap like he named that kid pirate because of the the memes at the time. I 
I just know it. I just know. Or Pirates of the Caribbean, he, the movie. No, nah, I don't think he would do that. Okay. But the Pirates of the Caribbean, the movie led to the pirate memes too. Oh, right. You know, okay. He he's thinking about the like, you know, talk like a pirate day. There was a whole period of time where like pirates were bacon. Oh where yeah, people I know. Were, they just yeah. loved them epically. Yes. And uh, the last thing I wanted to say before we move on is <laughs> three of the guys were at a band called LAPD. And you're like, oh, that's a cool name for a band. I mean, not anymore. But at the time, it was like LAPD. I mean, that, you know, at the time, it just didn't seem so weird. But it stood for uh, love and peace, dude. <laughs> Which you just can't imagine the guys in corn being in a band named that. But I guess they were trying to be like a red hot chili peppers type band, it sounds like. So, I mean, at that time, there was funny. like at that time, there was like. I still get and when when I people pass me in traffic or or like when I let somebody in or somebody lets me in, I give a peace sign because I've just been doing it since I was like 11, like at, at in the 90s in the early 90s, man, there was like kind of a weird hippie. Oh, revival yeah. Thing. Alanis Morissette wrote about it. I got one hand in my pocket and the other one is given a peace sign. Yeah, you did peace signs a lot, and you did like uh 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 you you drew you did the two finger, like peace, and I still do it uh uh to this day because uh I just it it a a thing built itself in my head, so I I get where they got, but love and peace, dude, is is a historically bad band name for a band that ended up being called Corn. Yeah, it's incredible. These guys have the worst names because you think about it. Jonathan Davis was in a band called Sex Art. <laughs> sex Art. Incredible. Yeah. I would do anything to hear a Sex Art album. Oh, baby. He should reunite anything. with them. Uh, I also loved this quote from that article, uh, which this is like you can only say this when you're famous, right? So this article is from 2018. You, you can only get away with saying bullshit like this when you're famous. I was a mixture of Jim Morrison, fucking Robert yes. Smith, and Rock Him, Davis says of his early performing style. The guys in Creep, this so LAPD renamed themselves to Creep. It had basically all the other guys in corn aside from Jonathan Davis in it. The guys in Creep immediately tried to hire him away after catching a sex art gig. After consulting a psychic, Davis finally relented. Just a tremendous collection of three sentences right there i was a mixture of jim morrison fucking robert smith and rock him he's just as dumb as they come man as as dumb as you could possibly be and fully i mean you should never say you're part jim morrison i don't think that's the best move because people are gonna compare you to jim morrison which you know Jim Morrison, in Brian's opinion, the doors kick ass. So I don't have anything bad to say about Jim Morrison, but I I, I think it's like presumptuous to say that you're like Jim Morrison. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You let other people say that. Anyway, Corn yes. goes on to talk about how they spent $60,000 on booze recording Follow the Leader. Incredible stuff. I would urge you to check out any of these articles. Uh, before we get to the end of the show, Brian... 
we are uh, going to give a tweet defense of this album. This is uh, for those of you who are new to the show. Uh, this is how we rate the album. So if someone were to tweet at us, Hey, follow the leader sucks. It's how many tweets we would get into with them trying to defend the album. Uh, Brian, what's your, what's your tweet defense score for this, this album? Oh man. Uh, I'm going to do like spin right here and right. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, 30 with the caveat that there's three bad songs on it. Three nice. not great songs. I mean, All in the Family sucks and Camel Tosis isn't very good. Uh, Children of Corn, I'll let it slide. It's yeah, corny. Children but, of the Corn I is mean, fun. it's corn. Yeah, and it's corn. this album, what makes up for the All in the Family and Camel Tosis thing is that this, this album has my gift to you on it, which gives it 15 uh, uh, in my score of 30. I love it. That's great stuff. I'm going to go uh, just because Jonathan Davis loves this number so much. I'm going to go 13. <laughs> I will go 13 tweets. And, uh, that, you know, I think that's the highest your, score I've ever given. I think that's what I'm saying. If this is your first time listening, uh, uh, I gave a 30 because I forgot what I gave disturbed. And and now I backed myself in this corner that I think I gave deserve disturbed like a 25. So then when an album that I for real like comes on, I have to give it a ridiculous number. Yeah. And uh that's you, that's you made your bed what, and now you have to lie in it. Yeah. So that is uh <clears throat> I'm I'm trying to look at my list just to make sure. But yeah, I give corn a 30. I love it. It's beautiful. Uh, well, that is, there it is. Follow the leader, a classic album. We did it. We made it happen for you, the, the listeners, the people. It was great to talk about corn again. Uh, if you want to hear more of us chatting uh, about new metal, you can head on over to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash the POD cast. And that's cast with a K like the very band we are listening to today, corn and uh yeah we've got a bunch of stuff we do we do one full length bonus episode every month and we do two singles bonus episodes every month and it's only four dollars so you get three bonus episodes every single month for four dollars last month uh brian and i actually went solo we didn't we usually have a guest on the on the bonus albums or bonus episodes sorry uh but we were reviewing a full album by spike 1000 called waste of skin it was super fun it was really interesting look at a a new metal band that didn't make it but probably should have uh, it was a, a really fun look at that album. So that's over on Patreon right now. And this month we're reviewing a collection of nine new metal cover songs. So it's not so much a compilation as it is just a list put together by, by a listener. And uh, we're going to be reviewing a bunch of new metal covers. And I think we're going to have a pretty special guest for that one. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so check that all out on our Patreon. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast. Again, that's cast with a K. We do all of our polls and everything over there. So it's a good idea to follow us. And if you like the show, tell a friend, uh, you know, obviously there's lots of chatter about uh, new metal right now with the Woodstock 99 documentary, the Limp Bizkit resurgence. And uh, I know a lot of you uh, are really big fans of the show and we really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to spread the word about the show, that would rock. Uh, so Brian, we're here at the end of the show. We always like to end the show with a challenge. Uh, the challenge is, uh, you know, we, we give ourselves something related to the album 
you uh last month we we did evanescence fallen and ben moody had written a very quote-unquote moody letter departing evanescence and so you and i imagined the letter that we would write if we left the pod cast uh you beat me once again you're on a six-month winning streak which is truly incredible uh so you you have tw- you have 12 challenge wins to my 10 and then we have one tie uh, so i gotta get tonight i gotta get back in the winner column here but um the challenge this month because my gift to you is such a great song i thought it would only be appropriate that you and i would uh give gifts to each other so this is sort of like my gift to you john my gift to you brian what would we the budget is not a concern. You can get your co-host uh, anything they want. And uh, that's the, that's the challenge. So Brian, I'll let you go first. What is your gift to me? All right. I want to buy you. I got to buy you two things here. Okay. To give you the gift that I think would make you the happiest that I could do. Right. Okay. okay. So the first gift is a mansion. I'm going to give you oh, an enormous house with very high ceilings. Okay? Would love that. Uh, yeah, I bet you would. But then in your living room, I'm going to decorate the whole thing around the uh, Limp Biscuit toilet from the OzFest tour that they did. Yes. So you're going to have the Limp Biscuit toilet, the actual real one, and own it but it's going to be in your living room. But I think that's a good gift for you. I think that would really blow you away. That would blow me away. That would truly blow me away. I do. I would love that. Thank you. I would love to come out of the Limp I want the toilet. toilet. I think it's because I want the toilet a little bit. You so know? then you could come like, to my house and hang out with the toilet. Yeah. Maybe I would just let you put the toilet in your yard. That, that's a better thing, right? So, like, I would get you a mansion with a large yard, and then in the front yard, your address will be hanging on the toilet that Limp Biscuit had. That's what I would do. I love it. I love it. Thank you. That's a great gift. Brian, hey, I'm going to be honest with you. My gift to you is very elaborate. Okay. You ready for okay. this? <clears throat> okay. So, I am like a genie going to essentially grant you the ability to play bagpipes. So this is part of my gift. I mean, Ooh. if you want to be, if you want to be like pedantic about it, I'm getting you six months of bagpipe lessons. You will use those bagpipe lessons strictly to learn how to play the song. My gift to you. You will then Ooh. get to perform the song. My gift to you with corn and a hologram of Peter Steele from typo negative because it feels like uh it feels like that we peter Steele deserves a little show and he feels like the type of guy that would be down for having a hologram of himself you know i feel like there's some artists for that song so he's got a hologram and to top it all off this performance is taking place on a boat and when it's over you get to keep the boat all right a cigarette boat it's just a cigarette boat on a fucking cigarette boat going fucking 500 miles an hour (laughs) i take grasp then your eyes roll back peter Steele singing it imagine that another thing another thing bagpipes in that song the first time well second time they really seamlessly integrated the bagpipes into the song 
just yeah. incredible. There you go. So that's Other my gift to you, Brian. <laughs> that's my gift to you. Uh, I, I think both it. both great gifts. Uh, so yeah, again, we will uh, post the challenge. Uh, you, you get to vote on who wins. We'll post that on our Twitter over at twitter.com slash the POD underscore cast. Uh, and before we go, speaking of things you get to vote on on Twitter every month, Brian and I do a poll uh, where we both put up two albums each and then you, the listener, get to vote on which album we are to listen to for the following uh, month. And uh, so, Brian, I will let you uh, I will let you go first. What two albums are you putting up in the poll this month? I do have a theme. This I have month. a theme this month, too, Brian. I hope I don't pick yours, but I don't. You've think been doing so. that think- the last few months. You've been picking mine, but I think I'm safe this month. Right. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, so the first band that I'm choosing is uh, Power Man 5000. Oh, tonight, the stars revolt. And okay. for those that don't know, the lead singer of Power Man 5000 is Rob Zombie's brother. So that's the first. So, one. oh, so are we getting a Rob Zombie album here? No, the next one is Dead Z commencement and the lead singer of dead z is uh the son of Cher, and uh i don't know who uh, i think greg allman maybe so uh two famous two people with famous relatives that were in new metal bands that's dead z commencement and power man 5000 tonight the stars revolt i love it i love it okay (laughs) Uh, mine has a pretty clear theme this month as well. This is the first one is an album we've had in the poll before, and it's got very close to winning. So I felt like we kind of had to throw it back in here. And that is Papa Roach infest. Uh, it is yet to win a poll and I know Brian hates it. So we'll see if this can be the month that gets it done or an album that I think is extremely good. And I don't think we've ever put this on a poll before. Uh, and you'll see the theme immediately right away. So the first was Papa Roach, Alien Ant Farm, uh, with Anthology. Uh, so that Dude. was their that was their first record, and I really like it. So so pretty I, much, pretty so it's much bug bug theme. If you didn't get that, it's bugs. Yeah, the, and yeah. anybody who wins is a new band. That's yes. great. All That's four great. four bands we haven't covered on the show, and and I think. Three of them we've never put in the poll before. I don't think we've had any of these bands in the poll before. So that's aside from Papa Roach. So be interesting to see and how I it also, goes. I think I, I, I want to start predicting. I think it's Papa Roach can win this one. But uh, Dark Horse is uh, Power Man 5000. I think Power I think. Man. I think Power Man 5K is a Dark Horse. I also think Alien Ant Farm is a, is a Dark Horse. I think people like that album. That's got it's got a bit of a cult following. So I think, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm. I'm happy to listen to any of those, to be honest. So I'm, I'm always yeah. excited when we have a poll that uh, that is four good albums or at least four intriguing albums. So, again, you'll be able to vote on the poll at uh, our uh, on our Twitter at the POD underscore cast cast with a K like the band corn. We usually release the poll around the middle of the month. So make sure you're following us and then you can have a say in which album we review next month, which will be Brian, our two year anniversary episode. 
episode number oh, 25. So that's so nice. We're going to have every single person we've ever had on the show as a guest <laughs> on that episode. Yeah, they can't to wait ready. to hear Deadsy. They're going to love it. So uh, thank you, everybody, for <laughs> listening. Thank you for supporting the show. If you do, uh, if you don't, you can head on over to the uh, to the Patreon at patreon.com slash the POD cast and you can support the show. There's a ton of bonus episodes there. You Obviously, you get access to our whole back catalog, too. So lots of fun stuff over there. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. We love you all and we'll see you back here next month. Goodbye.